Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with Mike Connolly. Hello. Tara Connolly. Hi there. And Steve Lowenthal. Hello. Hey, Steve. Thank you for having me. Thanks for showing up with this awesome record. It's a pleasure to be here. We are very psyched to have Steve. Steve of the uh, VDSQ labels, as well as Black Editions and the man with the plan. If you ever went to the hospital store back in the day, you might have seen Steve behind the counter there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And Steve picked an amazing record, the farthest back in history that we've gone yet here on Noise Extra. And we have definitely decided that we are going to be going back in time uh, to get to a lot of the roots of the, you know, the more, the chunk of the stuff we talk about. So this is the farthest back we're going in. Um, it was a wild ride. Yeah, it was great. Just really like the the beginnings of these environmental soundscape before anything even had a name or a category. So cool. Love but it. before we get to that, we should talk about what we've been listening to. Oh, damn. What you've been listening <laughs> to. <laughs> what you've been listening to, Gray? I sound like a broken record. I, this, <laughs> is, this is, sorry everyone who's actually listened to the last few episodes in succession, because uh, I've listened to another Condom record. Well, I've listened to a few, but I, I've listened to The Eighth Pillar. Yeah, I mean. So good. Absolutely one of the all-time best. And I read the booklet that comes with The Eighth Pillar, and then after doing that, I was up till 5 a.m. watching Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> so we were going to watch that together. Well, we're going to watch it okay, together good. still. But wow. Uh, so, kind of eighth pillar, unfunctional, just classic, his first proper LP. And uh, we'll abs absolutely be doing it's intense. An, an episode on that. Yeah, yes. 100%. Listen to something a little further off base, but still pretty nice is the. Uh, Ordo Equilibrio record Conquest, Love, and Self-Perseverance, which is like, I don't know, Satanic Sex Industrial from Sweden Ooh. from the late 90s. Cold Meat, right? Uh, it's on Cold Meat, yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, relevant, but not quite the zone we normally focus on here. There's that word zone again. <laughs> and I also jammed another Cold Meat disc, uh, IRM's Oedipus Dethroned, which is just one of my kind of favorite classic power electronics vibe records and that uh that juche comp that came out a few years ago that's got like x order gray wolves condom militia amazing militia track on it it's in my car and i think i've listened to it all the way through like six times and have not once been like oh, it's time to take this out and put something else in it just wow. i just keep playing it awesome what about you guys uh, we've been in a big CCCC zone and been listening Ooh. to a lot of that. Uh, Love and Noise in particular, in particular, has been a repeated listen mm -hmm. at the Connolly household. Uh, so, such a great CCCC. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about them. It's it's a very different kind of noise. It's not. I don't know what the word is. I guess we'll, well, you know, I'll think of it before we get to the episode. We'll when prepare. We talk about them. But yeah, there's just something very, very different about them that I am been listening to a lot this week. We've been listening to a lot this week, uh, trying to kind of put our finger on it. So, hey, maybe we, by the time we get to an episode, we'll uh, we'll have put our finger yeah, on it. Yeah, we'll be I got that CD from uh, our friend Phil at Tronics. He had, uh, like, found or come across a stack of like dead stock of those years ago. And so that was my, my oh, that's so former cool. guest who, you know, did the venereology yeah, episode with us. That's but, so uh, cool. Yeah. Got that one from Phil. Oh, that's so cool. Everybody uh, hit up Phil. He'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> I would say don't hit up Phil. 
Um, also been in a big A-Tracks Mark Zone. I think we yeah. mentioned them last episode or the episode before, but Overcome, the LP on Slaughter from 99, has especially been getting a lot of play. Chilling, haunting electronics. Yeah, if you need a soundtrack to being alone in a field at night, <laughs> they, pick A-Tracks Mark. There you yeah. go, especially Overcome. And then leading up to this episode, uh, doing Tara... Tara's notes for this episode, by the way, looks like a mad scientist. I felt like a mad scientist. It was really ridiculous. So in doing a lot of research, you've been listening to a lot of pretty cool so cool stuff related to the the record that we're about to yeah, so discuss. Um, her notes look like Goodwill hunting. Like that, <laughs> that well, I was uh, influenced by Raga and Gagaku, like a Japanese. Uh, it translates to elegant music. It's a court music of Kyoto. So uh, I was listening to uh, the Japanese National Theater in Chiyoda. Um, Shibuki was really, really good. It means Splash of the Sea and it's crazy drums and then just regular Gagaku court music. Uh, if you've never heard it, just check it out. It's it's really, really nice. It's really cool. It's cool. very intense. It's very cool. You were playing it when I walked in one day from being out and it was the Best he walked in. He was into. like, "Whoa, what is this?" Yeah, it was like one of the best things to walk into. So that was really <laughs> but yeah, cool. it's it's really really minimal and austere and has pageantry, um, but also raga too. I mean, you know, really not cool. gonna lose there. What about you, guest Steve? What have you been listening to? Well, amongst other things, uh, one of the things I've been listening to is this absolutely stunningly gorgeous packagedly uh, Andrew Chalk ten inch on the An Archives label uh, out of France. Uh, and archives is a label that works uh, with a lot of musicians who also work with black editions. They had releases by artists such as uh, Tori Kudo and Makoto Kawashima. So uh, I wrote to them and said, oh, let me buy everything that you have in print on record. <laughs> and it's awesome. gorgeous. I'm glad you brought and, it with you. Yeah. And, this, and amongst them, uh, amongst all the Japanese treasures uh, that they did um, was this was this incredible Andrew Chalk record, uh, who is uh, probably very well known to the listeners of Noise Extra um, and who, who whose work I was sort of only tangentially tangentially familiar with prior to this to this release and it's it's, a, it's a amazing listen it's a really beautiful looking record Steve did bring it so he's like I want to show you guys how cool this thing looks and it really does yeah it look looks amazing. great yeah OB strip and everything I was going to say it's got Grace's favorite yeah, OB strip yeah. it, it's as texturally you know innovative and 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 gorgeous is the music that lies therein and uh you know the inserts are screened and, and, and equally oh beautiful oh we hadn't taken this out yet this thing is really wow. beautiful yeah it, it's extra special uh if you have if you're not familiar with the an archives label out of france uh everything they put out is of this quality and uh is well worth collecting cool we'll have a link for sure on the uh webpage right the yeah absolutely the obi is printed uh, with the cover art, but then it's got like different ink on it for in, in Japanese. It looks really pretty damn special. Really cool. Postcard. Oh, it's gorgeous. Really, yeah, cool. this all looks really nice. You know, yeah. I forgot. Well, Elegant. Two things that I listened to. Oh, what's that? And you talking about it reminded me because we were texting. Uh huh. And I, I also listened oh. to Overcome. Yes, exactly. You saw it yeah. sitting next to my turntable. <laughs> uh, and wow, just yeah. wow, right? It's like incredible. Yeah, it really is. It's a just a great one. And one I don't, it's so much more minimal than his usual stuff that I don't necessarily think of it in the same kind of 
or the bit you know the bigger CDs that I don't think of it in the same way, but it's uh it certainly operates on the same plane. The, the, the vocals are abstract rather than lyrical, so so it, it, yeah, it's it's very unique in the Atrax More catalog, I think, and it's it's. I've always kind of said it was my favorite one, but then it's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, what? I haven't listened to it for a long time. I wonder what it sounds like now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is my favorite Ajax movie. You guys better watch it. You're doing like an yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, our friends at Fantastique sent us Hedrick Hyden's King of Noise. Oh, yeah. And their LP reissue looks absolutely gorgeous. And it sounds fantastic too. That's a so, beautiful looking reissue from what you yeah, showed me. It really is. Yeah, yeah, it's it looks great. Uh, I couldn't couldn't recommend it more. And I have a feeling we might talk about that one soon here. Oh, mm. I think we might. Uh, it's what a what a just knockout record. Absolutely. Ugh, so and good. speaking of knockout records, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I that segue. That was a great segue. Thank you. I, I'm really excited that you guys were. Uh, amenable to to me bringing in this uh, to talk about a noise extra well this is so cool and this was at, this was steve's idea um we were we were hanging out one day he's like i got an idea it might i don't know if this is gonna be outside the scope but what if we did lamont young marianne zazilia how do you pronounce oh, of course i'm the worst the world's worst pro- zazila zazila marianne zazila the world's worst name and word pronouncer uh dream house uh record and i was like that is a great idea because we're way down to explore the roots. And this is certainly a big root in in what we've come to know is, you know, noise, experimental, etc. This record looks beautiful. This sort of like hand drawn pattern in, in pink and magenta purple and the, this black and white photo of them on the cover and the, the like classic sort of Lamont Young fanciful handwriting script as the text on it it just all looks Marian. i was about to say that's all marion yeah. her calligraphy is, mm-hmm. is is very much part of her you know body of work it's and, it's amazing it looks fantastic and the, my you know my experience with lamont young is uh, the well-tuned piano predominantly and so that this is a, a noticeably different work than that one um, I didn't realize that was her handwriting. I love it. It looks, I mean, when you, when I think of Lamont Young, I see this handwriting. I also think of the photos of him present day where he looks like a biker gnome <laughs> wizard yeah. uh, in the cool, he, if you haven't seen Lamont Young <laughs> in the last few years, just hit Google. He looks, he's, I want to hang out with that guy. He's the high priest of, you know. New York City underground avant-garde, you know, underground culture. He's just, you know, him and Marion, you know, she's the high priestess. And the exactly. two of them together, sort of the ultimate power couple in a way. And uh, the, when you're talking about the aesthetics of the cover art, that you know, that's very much Marion's Azila. And uh, it's very much reflected environmentally in their space that they perform in the dream house where they do this installation and whatnot. And, you know, the, the two of them together are sort of uh, iconic in a way. They complement each other so well because she likes to do light installations. So her installations are generally, you know, um, pulling light out of darkness. So it's that black. It's the magenta. She uses a lot of purple, but also she explores um, shadows and shapes. And so a lot of the shapes, even that you see on here, she creates them by hanging things and lighting them in such a way the shadow actually has a different color. So she developed her own lighting technique 
Um, and I just I just think she's really, really cool. And they've been together for like 53 years working together. I think uh, it's amazing do, using visuals and sound to create um, a separate entity. And, you know, just looking at the cover, I, I mean, it jumps to the eye, it jumps off the shelf. Uh, I mean, it's such a hip looking record. And you it looks have, like the cure. It's <laughs> yeah. and you have to think for 1972, uh, you know, how yeah. ahead of the curve what and just that? sort of, you know, just. Oh, it's unreal. Yeah. I mean, it's so far ahead of, you know, what would come later. But, uh, you know, in, in 1972, just imagine walking to a record store, seeing something like that. And, you know, who took the photo is Robert Adler is the guy who programmed the sine waves, which we'll talk about later. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of spread to discuss it. Right. Right. I mean, there's yeah. so much to get into. But how this cool record. is that? Yeah. It's definitely a, a belabored affair. The back cover also, instead of having a photo of them, has more of these patterns, which must be Marion's uh, drawings. Mm -hmm. These sort of like, I don't know, they're not, uh, they're not mandalas or the tessellations. I don't know quite how to describe them. Um, they're they're just beautiful and it's in two colors. It's in this sort of pink, lighter lighter purple and darker purple, or is lavender and purple, whatever pink and purple, uh, on black. And it just looks it looks so cool. It looks like a heady record. Like if you were uh, on the fringes in the seventies and it come out of the the sixties, somewhat uh, not not entirely unscathed, <laughs> you would see this record and you would be like. Okay, what is this? This is speaking to me, and it still speaks to me now. I pick this up and look at it, and just like, wow, it's oh magnetic. It just, you, it just, we've we've been pretty much yeah. So Steve brought an original copy. So originally released on the the Shandar label in 1974, and then Aguirre re reissued it in 2016. So the, and you know, not an easy record to find an original of, but Steve brought his original copy. So we've just been pretty much pawing over it the entire time. I was so excited to, to see it. I've been looking at weird uh, internet, just like scans of it and none of them are perfect. So I like have put them together to read the insane, amazing liner notes on right. the inside. So to see Steve's, I was like, oh my God. Because not only do you get this amazing front and back cover, you pull that record out and it is a gatefold with some dense, incredible liner notes and some incredible pictures. Including a photo of 49 their box turtle <laughs> my favorite uh photo in the package is the photo of uh lamont's uh hometown of where he grew up in the log burn, cabin the where he was born in burn idaho how um, cool is that and there's uh yeah there's a photo here presumably from the 1930s as his uh date of birth was october 14th 1935 and the photo is credited to dennis and evelyn young who i imagine are his parents and it's just basically a picture of this tiny one room, you know, shack barn that, you know, he grew up in. And that uh, was a huge early influence to his work where, you know, basically he heard you know the sound of the wind mixed with the, you know, the sounds of an electrical, you know, telephone mm -hmm. wires and whatnot kind of uh, making their sounds in the night. And these, these two things combined sort of the natural and the electric currents sort of mixing together you know, sort of formed the sounds that he, you know, ended up trying to sort of replicate in some way. Yeah, log cabins are no joke. You can try to seal them all you want, but uh, 
you ain't sealing that thing. But talk about minimalism. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, we're, we're talking about, yeah, there's there so many people who are, you know, talk about minimalism who come from very maximalist <laughs> environments <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, suburban or, or, you know, city life or whatnot. But uh, imagine sort of growing up in, in that kind of environment and sort of the, the absolute transcendence of such minimalism and how much that affected and then going to UCLA and then settling in New York City, like it's it's really wild. I mean, he studied with such amazing um, composers and musicians. Uh, it's it's unreal. It's, it still brought that feeling from the log cabin from 1935 all the way with him to this day. Absolutely. There's also a really great photo on here of Anne and Terry Riley with Pandit Pranath and Marianne Zazila and Lamont Young, which just they're just like. I don't know. It almost looks like it's a, at a like a tourist vista, <laughs> it's like a roadside. <laughs> oh, absolutely, stop. Okay. I love it. It's really, it's really a great photo. Uh, and then there's two columns on either side of this gatefold of just text about the pieces. There's so much. This is so information. It's with these great drawings as the border to this thing. Oh, it, I mean, it's just perfect. It's a really cool looking record. So, Steve, when did you come to Lamont Young and the Dream House? Now, Steve, you still for. Anyone who doesn't know, uh, Steve did. You lived in New York, a New Yorker for sure. most most of your adult I'm a, life. I'm a New Yorker by birth, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, for for most of my adult life, I I lived in New York, and I consider myself to be a New Yorker. And uh, you know, in high school, I you know I got into you know Sonic Youth, and then you know sort of went left from there into you know bands like Dead Sea and uh, Royal Trucks and Harry Pussy mm -hmm. and whatnot. And uh, when I was sort of, you know, thinking of ideas of what to pitch for Noise Extra, I was sort of thinking about like what my first absolutely pure sort of sound experience was. Because um, even like things that were tangentially noise, like I was I was hip to the boredoms. I saw the boredoms when I was in high school and stuff, but they were still like the craziest band. You know what I mean? So I was like, what's not there's nothing to do with bands. So there's nothing. It was just pure sound. Um, and I'd visited the, the dream house. I went uh, at one point in high school. And just uh, in sort of my, uh, you know, interment days, just running around doing stuff. And uh, it had, it was, it was really almost hard to sort of absorb as at that I young of an age. I can't imagine seeing that as a teenager. Like, that's wild. I was a pretty psychedelic teenager. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, true. Uh, I forgot you had long hair. <laughs> I, I, I was definitely exploring, uh, you know, the sort of precepts of, the edges of similar things that Lamont and Marion were exploring as well. Nice. Um, so yeah, I was, I was sort of openly, you know, open to sort of different things at that time. So walking into the, the dream house was a real revelation because I'd never seen anything like it. And it was just pure sound environment. There was no ego. Cause even at the time, you know, I didn't really know who Lamont and Marion were. I sort of knew the dream house was this weird place to mm -hmm. go to. That was like sort of a sound art sort of thing. And I wasn't even really clear on what sound art was, but I was just, I was told this was a place I should go and check out. And I did. And it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before because there wasn't a performer. There wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a stage, there wasn't an instrument. It was just pure sound. And the environment was, it, it's all, if you've never been to the dream house, it's basically like a, a loft in Tribeca, New York. Um, which, 275 Church Street, still there. Go if you like. 
which you know when they moved in was a really wild barren crazy place and you know by the 90s it was like a total banker yuppie that's where like robert de niro <laughs> lives you know which is completely unattainable so it's an interesting juxtaposition that the dream house still exists in this place where counterculture anyway so the dream house is this room um two rooms basically and it's all covered in in white carpet and there's white pillows and uh you you know, you, you, you walk up a flight of stairs cause it's on the second or third floor of, uh, of, a, of, a, of an apartment building. And, uh, you know, you, you, you pay a fee and you walk in and everything's bathed in a magenta light. And, uh, there are sculptures, uh, Marion sculptures and the shadows wow. that Tara alluded to earlier on the walls are really pronounced. And, you know, you take off your shoes, you have to take off your shoes and there's incense burning. And there's a, a framed photo of, uh, Pandit Pranath. On, on one wall in the corner and uh, otherwise there's nothing else that's there just really minimal wow. sculptures and the the light sort of bathing in and every time you move the frequency changes and so even when you move your head and when you sit down and when you stand up it's just a totally different sound and it's just again it, it you know it, it's sort of on one sense it's like these sort of somewhat static sine waves um but they're every you your body moving in the space changes the sound to a really minute degree and it's just absolutely fascinating well and we tried to experiment with that today when we were listening and it and it it, it did w- make a difference yeah it totally did um so so you so you went back after that first time though right oh absolutely yeah and as i got further you know as i got older i would go back with with different people and and uh it was sort of like a it was, it was something i'd i'd showed people who were coming to town and whatnot um and then a few years after that i sort of you know signed up to their mailing list and whatnot and realized that they did shows there they did performances in mm-hmm. the dream house that they didn't really promote outside of just their own you know mailing list and that's because they didn't really have to um and it's sort of like they created this you know they created this environment for themselves and they created this space for them to perform where the audience really came to them they lived below the dream house that's amazing um so they basically you know instead of like a house show where an artist would come to your house everyone sort of comes to them and, you know, they, they charge, you know, like 35, 40 bucks or whatever, you know, and just have like a hundred or so, or maybe even less, probably more like 50 to 75 people in the space. Um, and you're all seated cross-legged sort of, you know, in the environment and, uh, you're all sitting there for an indeterminate amount of time and, uh, you're just sort of waiting for, you know, the artist to enter. Oh yeah. And, How uh, long were they? Cause I, I know he's done performances that are like eight hours long or they're, more. They're very long performances. Yeah. All the ones I saw were at least three hours <laughs> wow. and uh, <laughs> you're sitting cross legs. There's no phones. Yeah. There's like, it's, it's a oh, very, wow. you know, it's not an environment in which you would talk to the person next to you. There's no bar, there's no food oh, or drink. God. So you have no idea how long you've been there. No, you're really yeah. closed off to the rest <laughs> of the world. And uh, that's, you know, it's sort of the point. And it's hot. You know, there's no fans, <laughs> there's no air conditioning because it would interfere with the, you know, with the sine waves yeah. and the sounds. So it's just you're you're in there and like it's a commitment. So once you're there, it, it's almost to leave would sort of interrupt. You'd have to like sort of stand up and sort of interrupt the rest of the room. So it's sort of one of these environments where you have to be you're sort of hyper aware of your own self because, mm-hmm. you know, it's such an intimate experience. 
That's so cool. That's wow. very cool. That vibe reminds me of a, there's that Gurdjieff record of harmonium improvisations and it, in a slightly different vibe, but he would invite people over for a, for a dinner party. And then after dinner was finished, he would perform a harmonium improvisation. And uh, I always thought that was just a really nice way to do a show, sort of have people come to you as a, so sort of a hospitality, welcoming people into your environment and making sure they're like content and satiated and then uh, providing them with some form of entertainment, which I think is a really yeah. cool thing. And they really control the space. They control their performance. They control the presentation. Like it's their world. And uh, I'm always fascinated with artists that create their own universes. And there's few that I can think of that go as far as Lamont and Marion in executing like a full vision of how their work should be performed and received mm -hmm. by both you know themselves and the audience and uh you know i have a lot of respect for their absolute dedication to their aesthetic such a commitment and even in the liner notes i was as we were listening and i was checking them out it it explained that um the long-term goal for you know the dream house sound would be as sound as an organism so the liner notes i'll quote it it says a real living organism with a life and tradition of its own, one with a capacity pro to propel itself by its own momentum. So like what an amazing goal to like create a sound and a wave uh, that is ceaseless until it becomes its own living organism. And, you know, and it's it's been in that same dream space for how many years now just ceaselessly becoming its own organism? I mean, since before all of us were born. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Like wow. at least twenty years, and there's still <laughs> yeah. at, least, at least twenty, at least five years, yeah, yeah, at least twenty years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it's it's really fascinating that they're still very active. They're still very much involved. They're still performing. Their space is is still you know open to the public. It's uh, it's remarkable. Um, and the first side of this record is really very much reminds me of what it's like to be at a performance at the dream house with Lamont and Marion and uh, other musicians that they might have accompany them on uh, this recording. It's uh, John Hassel on trumpet. Um, and I'm sorry, who, who's the uh, Garrett list on trombone mm -hmm. and uh, Marion and Lamont on, uh, on vocals and uh, sine waves. And uh, it, it yeah, definitely reminds me of, a lot of the multiple performances that I've seen at the dream house. Oh, wow. of them, you know, that's so how they've seen awesome. that, like, that yes. similar thing. Cause wow. it is such well, an I incredible think sound. These are the same frequencies that they use at the dream house. I that's mean, correct. Because it is a sine wave. And so that can be, um, the non-periodic endless sine wave that can propel itself eternally given the right amount of energy. So, it's extremely yeah. what happens at the dream house and what I've experienced at the dream house um, is very much what's represented on this record, which is why I was really excited to talk about the A side really represents the performative aspect of it when they're physically there performing on vocals and other instrumentalists joining them as is here. And uh, listening to that again today, was really, it was really a great experience. And uh, you know, just hearing Lamont, and Marion's vocals intersect with the horns intersecting. Mm -hmm. And then the sine wave is sort of like cross, you know, both of those sort of like modulations. And it sort of creates this really amazing tapestry to listen to. And it's, and it's a crazy experience because you think in your head, like that maybe 
one of the the droning waves underneath is taking over and then you realize it might not be it's probably just me like it's just all about the way you're perceiving it and so as you perceive it you're hyper conscious of your own unique experience that's very true i felt that a lot while listening to it you can pick out different things and it's a lot of like questioning like is that changing is that <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah are there two of those is that going on now is that frequency shifting is this what just what i'm focusing on now and i'm noticing it and then now what's this other thing doing and it's it's really an enveloping listen i think it led to a lot of sort of wow moments for all of us while sitting here listening to it again sitting and listening to records this way is like just so much different than listening to a record in your casual time uh and this record i guess it should be noted it's uh it's lamont young and marianne zazila the <clears throat> I guess we haven't given the full entire introduction. <laughs> just, just about halfway through, and you know we'll get we'll get to it. The Theater of Eternal Music, which is uh, their group, which includes Garrett List and John Hassel, uh, and then the piece is Dreamhouse. Or sorry, the title of the record is Dreamhouse, seventy-eight minutes seventeen seconds. So the first piece is titled Thirteen One Seventy Three which would be January 13th, 1973, 5.35 to 6.14.03 p.m. NYC, which is 39 minutes and three seconds long. On a record, this this side is 39 minutes long. Uh, most, mo- that's, wow. yeah, that's, that's basically double what should be on the side of a record. Yeah, and it's it actually sounded great, <laughs> which is yeah. crazy. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's crazy. It sounded amazing. How did it sounded they do fantastic. That? And that is the the four person lineup we're talking about here with the uh, theater of eternal music. I, like, and I also, also like thinking that it's January. You know, so it's dark. If it's January thirteenth at five thirty, it's already dark. That's right. And it's just freezing in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, That's like the cold Tribeca. In, yeah, it's which is just, like a bombed out kind of apocalyptic New York, sort of more like. Well, that's more in the eighties, but in the seventies, still is a pretty like crazy place to be and so i just love thinking that this is what was filling their room with sound at that time and it's so great to think about well it's interesting if you even today when you go to the actual physical building you see the magenta lights from the street like you could like the wow. third of the floor or whatever this building is sort of emanating the sort of magenta sort of thing and you know it, it it's very mysterious because you can't see inside because there's you know shades down you can't see the street from inside or you know, vice versa. But uh, it's, you know, you could see the sort of magenta sort of peering out uh, throughout the cracks. And just, you know, it, those are the things I love about New York. Just those, you know, the the, the absolute freaks and weirdos that exist in the, in, in the cracks. There's a hidden dream oh. organism lurking. Yeah. It's amazing. And then the B-side is Drift Study 14773. So July 14th, 1973. 92727 to 100641 p.m. NYC, which is 39 minutes and 14 seconds on the B side. And that is pure sine waves. And that's very much representative of what it would sort of sound like walking into the dream house on a non performative, sort of just, you know, regular day uh, of the dream house, you know, oscillating uh, or whatnot. And, and uh, the liner note description say three sine waves, frequencies and voltages of the sine waves determined and tuned by Lamont Young using oscillators custom designed by Robert Adler to generate specific frequencies and voltages of great stability. 
And Robert Adler is amazing. He, uh, I, I actually was excited about this dude. He emigrated to America when Austria was annexed by Germany. And then he started working for the Zenith Corporation and designed uh, the next innovation in remote controls for TVs. So when oh, wow. Zenith was known for the remote control, uh, Robert Adler made it. And oh. what he used was subsonics because prior to that, they had used light mm. um, in their remote controls. So like uh, at dawn, it could like turn on your TV or turn it off. They were having issues with somebody uh, experiencing light changes and it messing with their TV. And TV companies didn't want to use remotes with batteries because they thought that if your batteries were dead in your remote, that you would think your TV was broken and that you would get mad. Mm. So he designed a remote that used subsonic frequencies and did not require batteries. And it wasn't until, you know, um, we innovated infrared technology that his remote was ever replaced. Mm. This guy designed wow. these. And he was hanging out with Mary <laughs> no, and, and, he, and he took the, he took the p- cover the picture. The cover photo. He's just like chilling like, oh, this is so nice. I could make something for you, guy. This cover photo is so great. So, so he designed the oscillators. That's correct. No, he what? he he programmed the sine waves, and he designed you know a machine because I mean an oscillator. He, he uses the oscilloscope is how you can see the sine waves, so you can actually like visually um, see the the pattern that the sound makes on the oscilloscope. Uh, so he did have an oscilloscope, and he did have you know, um, something that projected the sine waves as sound. And he used those frequencies, um, like very, very specific frequencies. When we were listening, I even got out my iPhone and like the liner notes tell you um, what he was using, like 50 and 60 hertz. Um, and he used very specific frequencies and played them along. And it was pretty crazy because you could not hear them while the record was playing. It sounded like nothing. Yeah, it was it was very weird. fascinating. Yeah. It was just like, I, I was like, your volume turned all the way yeah, up. Yeah, no, no, I could crazy. feel it making a sound, but I couldn't hear it at all. You, you because couldn't it hear just, a thing. No, it, it, it blended. It was crazy. And it's just, it is one of those things where every little move anyone makes, any move you make, it the sound completely changes. Yeah, so there's a lot more movement with the vocal patterns and having trumpet and trombone on the A side of this record but when you when, and you know that still changes with some movement because there's sine waves underneath all of it and but there's a lot more sort of interplay between different instruments there's four people that work on that one versus on the b-side three stable oscillators operating at set frequencies and it's almost played by you moving around and interacting with the sound Otherwise, if you're sitting in one place and not moving, which is impossible for 39 damn minutes, <laughs> but right. if that's what you're doing, it's going to sound the same. But the second you turn your head, you scratch your ear, you you look down a little bit, you shift your body, the sound changes. And the more you do that, or if you move around the room, like I went and sat in the middle of the room, we got up and walked around the room a little bit. It was, it was actually pretty funny. At one point, I just looked over and... <laughs> Everybody's standing up and sitting down on the couch. <laughs> we were like headbanging and standing up and sitting down and playing with the fans. It was great. And it it's, really it changes it. And it, we did it for science. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really and that's part of the fun about going to the dream house is just, you know, sort of wandering around and, you know, like lying down on a pillow and like just finding that right frequency that hits you just right. They're sort of like, ah, oh, that sort of like scratches the itch or whatnot. Um, but, you know, it they capture that experience really well on a record in the sense that you could almost do it at home. 
Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you, you set up your stereo, right, you get your, you know, turn the treble all the way down as instructed on the, yes. uh, on the, uh, on the record. And you can sort of create your own dream house. And I think that's sort of the, the idea is that, you know, you know, light your own incense, you know, get your magenta lights out and, uh, or, or what have you and, uh, you know, create that space in your own world. But, and it does give you a sense of interaction because how often do you feel that you can interact with sound? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that I think connects you to your environment so much because you don't think like, Hey, these sound waves are reverberating throughout the environment and my position in it makes a difference. But you know, when we were all together, like four people, each person made a difference in the environment, just even in terms of the sound. So, you know, thinking about, um, your environment being you and the light and the sound in it and the wind, like it's a very, um, for lack of a better word, it's, it's very far out. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but, it, but it also kind of grounds you in the world where you brought in your, um, you know, sensory experience to something other than just, you know, your corporal body. There's also a note about that in these liner notes. Uh, huh. It says for this second piece, there are two basic ways to listen to the tones in the dream houses. The first way is to sit quietly in one fixed place in order to hear the phase relationships of the frequencies drift. The second way is to walk around in the space to observe the points in the room where the different frequencies are louder. Note, if you practice the second method while someone else is practicing the first method, their listening will be affected because your movement will change the structure of the air molecules in the room. So we were all affecting each other's listening experiences and our own while moving around the room listening to this today. I mean, I, I shook my head vigorously at one point to see what that sounded like. And it was insane. I mean, it, it just sped everything up and it really sounded like this just sped up just like, like if I, when I was shaking my head like crazy. Spoiler alert. He said it sounded like I tracked more. It did. Yeah. It, <laughs> it totally did. It totally did. It sounded like that, like bear, like tone, like, you know, you oh, captured yeah. sorry. Those sign waves sorry for doing that. Sorry for doing that, everybody. <laughs> that, it was, it was insane though, right? I mean, it wasn't insane. No, people keep asking for more sound samples during episodes. So I think oh, we're just going to we're not gonna play them. We're gonna make them ourselves <laughs> with our mouths. We'll sing it back to you. But yeah, there's it's it's. I I think there's a. It's this really interesting mix of sort of science and magic. Yes. Yeah. In terms of what it is that they're they're, they're really attempting, and uh, I the thing that I love about Lamont and Marion and and you know this record and their body of work and their installations and whatnot is they cross so many boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're sort of considered like high art in the sense they're, they're, they're like funded by the DIA organization. Yeah, and they and sort of like, so much intent though. And cause they, they are, I mean like they are, they are cult, like um, curating every bit of what they're putting out. But they're still super cult and like kind yeah. of outlaw <laughs> and sort of like, and like very like rebellious and sort of, very much counterculture. Like they're still the, they're very much out. They live outside of society. I'm sure in the seventies they were heads. They're definitely <laughs> heads. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, again, like they just created their own universe, but it's sort of, I think it takes an appreciation of sort of both aspects in order to like really 
fully committed and like enjoy it in the sense of like, well, yes, there's these, you know, we could talk about frequencies and megahertz and we could talk about the science behind mm-hmm. it and whatnot. And, uh, you know, and that stuff's interesting for sure. Um, but then there's this whole sort of like mythology of it, you know, them in their robes sort of, you know, conjuring Pandit Pranath and this Indian classical music, you know, there's this sort of mix of the sacred and the profane, uh, when they're sort of, you know, cause they're, you know, dressed, you know, Lamont, as Gray mentioned to you earlier, is sort of like a motorcycle wizard, you know, <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. Him. He's, yeah. you know, again, it's just this crazy mix of different things, you know, on some sense they're like, you know, they're, they're taking from Indian classical music and they're very serious about their dedication to the study of that music. Yet they're not necessarily the most pious, you know, holy people, mm-hmm. you know, and they're associate with, you know, bikers and outlaws and, and, uh, you know, and they exist in these, you know, between these different worlds. And, uh, it's really, really sort of fascinating out of the, okay. Well, out of the like science things, there were some like fun, um, fun little rules that I found interesting. So like uh, they avoided the number. So every, everything's a prime number that they're using um, the 1373, both prime numbers, um, all numbers that they're incorporating into their wave functions. And um, you know, the, the Hertz uh, are not factorial by five um, and they're all uh, let me find his exact quote. Okay. Here's what he says about it. It's consistent sine wave drone frequency factorable by seven, three, two, and one, only from categories A1, B1, X equals five, and triads in which the drone is one of three frequency components. But the reason that five was avoided, like when you read other things, it's because the fifth wave frequency isn't common in pop songs. Right. (laughs) And so, uh, and lots of like major chord music. And so that's why they just eliminated that altogether, uh, which is fun. Which is you know sort of interesting because in a way, they're sort of responsible for bringing uh, a lot of these ideas into mainstream music sort of indirectly. Um, two members of the Theater of Eternal Music uh, were John Cale, yeah. <laughs> who brought some very much some of the ideas and practices of the Theater of Eternal Music to the Velvet Underground. Um, and then, uh, you know, Terry Riley was also yeah. a, a member of the Theater of Eternal Music. And, uh, you know, if you listen to the, some of the classics of the who you will hear echoes of the theater of eternal music and, you know, Bob O'Reilly. And another thing about the theater of eternal music, which is a very, uh, controversial group, uh, Lamont takes ownership of the work and, uh, credit. He says, these are his compositions. There is. Uh, fellow member Tony Conrad says that's nonsense. These were all, this was a group effort and to claim ownership is against the very principles of the nature of the work to begin with. And, uh, you know, Tony Conrad, you know, and Lamont never resolved their differences and, uh, and whatnot. But, uh, it's, it, you know, the theater of eternal music presaged a lot of, you know, drone and experimental music that came later. But one of the things that Tony Conrad spoke about in uh, the one uh, CD that Table of the Elements released of the Theater of Virtual Music was, and I'm paraphrasing or whatnot, but, uh, you know, he said that this was music that was, like, violent. You know, he pictured, like, rivers of blood running through the streets. Wow. You know, um, so 
I the reason I mentioned that is because in relation to this particular record is it's really to me it feels really like human living music. It doesn't feel like a, like an academic thing. It doesn't feel cold. It doesn't feel like removed. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like just machines. Like it feels like a really human experience uh, to listen to it. Totally, it doesn't feel sterile at all. It's That's it's right. living. It's breathing. And yeah, you get that immediately from listening to it. One of the other great things I love in the in the liners is the picture of their box turtle, who is named Forty Nine. Now, does that go with some of your the numbers stuff that you well, were? Forty Nine is a factorization of seven and seven, which are both primes. Uh, and Forty Nine is named after the seventh overtone of the seventh overtone. Uh, and Forty Nine's uh, turtle aquarium hum- hummed. To 120 hertz, uh, so they used to uh, use it as a tuning reference when they had the turtle aquarium in That's their home. So cool! They eventually let the turtle go, and I think that into the woods. Um, but you're going to see like the turtle is a motif because uh, the concept of the tortoise is very ancient, and then of course the world resting on the back of a tortoise is a um, major like principle in India and many many countries in China. Um, so, you know, it's the universe rests on a turtle and that rests on a turtle and that rests on another turtle. Um, so they kind of reference that. Um, but I love 49, the turtle with his 120 hertz uh, aquarium. That's so awesome. <laughs> Tara's got a great interview with Lamont Young um, by Alan Licht, who is good friend of Steve, VDSQ artist. That's correct. And you were talking about a top 10 of minimalism list. So Alan, uh, Alan Licht is uh, as far as well as being an incredible musician. Uh, his LP currents is available on VDSQ. Um, Mm. (laughs) pick it up. Uh, definitely pick it up. Check it out. Um, it's sort of an acoustic minimalist records. Um, but anyway, Alan, uh, is also a writer and, uh, a music journalist and, uh, a, a phenomenal sort of theorist about music and whatnot. And a brilliant man. And uh, he he wrote an article for a zine called Halana in the late 90s uh, called The Top Ten of Minimalism that really introduced a lot of people to minimalism in general and a lot of the composers that are peers of Lamont and sort of in that world. Um, And uh, it it was one of the it was one of the big articles that like brought this stuff to like the sort of post sonic youth crowd and kids like me you know, who are reading zines in the late nineties who are, you know, obsessed with, you know, like the, the, the deeper end of the matador and the silk breeze catalogs (laughs) and stuff like that. So, um, that was the first time I really heard about a lot of that stuff and found out about, you know, uh, Brian Eno's discreet music and, you know, records like that. Um, but yeah, he even did a sequel. He did a second top 10 of minimalism as well, but it was, Definitely look it up. It's online. You get Alan Lick's Top Ten of Minimalism. It's a classic late '90s uh, zine uh, article that any experimental music fan would enjoy. Very um, cool. Yeah, we we'll have to check that out. And and the interview with Lamont and uh, and and all parties uh, is really really stellar. And it's you know Red Bull Music Academy. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll of course link that. Yeah, it's it's really a great article, and like I wish we could just like read the whole thing because it's it's great. Um, but something that kept sticking in my head after I had read it uh, was that he says that uh, discipline leads to freedom. After you really know what you're doing, you could become very free with it. And I, he was discussing it in reference to Charlie Parker, 
um, and how Charlie Parker had had first started playing. And then he he went to improvise and then got laughed off the stage, came back a year later and he was a machine and is the, you know, music God that we know now. Uh, and I think that just a really beautiful sentiment in like establishing the basics. And I love the way he said it. Yeah. And that's another thing is one of the things that's really fascinating about Lamont and Mary and it, you know, and they're so disciplined as evidenced by their Clearly. lifetime <laughs> dedication yeah. to their work. They're the singularity of, of, of what they do is just, you know, inspiring. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's very true. And, uh, It'll last for many more years to come, which is uh, which is pretty pretty exciting. Now, there's not much music that you can has that sort of lifespan. You know, we didn't really talk about the sound of the first piece so much. I thought, and I had made sort of more notes during the first piece, just because the second piece is more interacted by how you're moving and where you're at. But I, you know, it starts off with the nice drones from the sine waves and the horns, maybe, but also. The, the vocals are, you know, there's that, that sort of very Eastern Raga sounding vibe to it. And the the sine waves kind of shift in footing. So they're moving. They, there's more quick shifts with them at times when it's happening. And I was amazed at the presence every instrument had when you're listening to it. You know, like you can feel you can feel everything. But then when you're when you're focusing, you hear one thing and the other, everything becomes kind of background when you're trying to listen for one thing. And I thought it was sort of a magic eye uh, yeah. poster of, of, of the track. That's an apt uh, analogy. <laughs> oh, I love that. Actually, that's so cool. A magic eye. It felt very infinite of a track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the way that it's like this is a part of a piece they were performing. This isn't the whole thing. This is. This time is a, a section of it, right? We're getting a snippet of something that was going on for much longer. And none of us really knew even what was being played. Right. Although it says that there's a, a distinct structure to the piece. And you could hear, you know, it's one of those things where as the more you listen to it, you can hear different things come in and come out and whatnot. And uh, there's certain times where it feels almost like it's one organic sort of sound. And there's other times where you could, again, what Gray was saying, you could really hear the individual players sort of rise and fall within the context of the piece. And the sort of the innate characteristics of the horns and the sign and human voice become more apparent as you listen to it and you pick out the nuances of those things and, and how they complement each other and also how they are distinct from each other. Uh, another thing that's sort of interesting that, that I sort of wanted to mention is it when we're talking about discipline, this record, we're you know, having listened back to it, 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 it seems like a perfect example of their work. It seems like a perfect document. Like a, you wouldn't change a thing about it. It's just like it's a perfect record. Um, but there are earlier examples. Uh, I've heard a bootleg of a of a record that uh, Marion and Lamont did uh, for CBS Records uh, in 1969. Well, and it was them doing these sort of extended vocal techniques uh, mixed with field recordings of like ocean sounds from like the top of a mountain or something like that. And it's not very good. I mean, it's well, not, you know, it's not. This record is phenomenal. Like yes, I said, it's like yeah. sort of like a perfect example of what they did. And it's sort of interesting to hear uh, the the aborted CBS sessions as sort of like how f like just sort of how difficult and how sort of magical it is to really capture 
something as elusive and something as ephemeral as what they do. Um, even though it is extremely detailed, thought out, documented, it's not happenstance by any means, but to, to properly capture it and to even like get a performance that really yeah. nails everything in that way is, is, is really special. I mean, in minimalism, every part holds great weight. Every, exactly. Um, and that's why there's so few official Lamont Young albums or whatnot. Um, you know, there's only really a handful considering, you know. Yeah how many times, you know, how, how many decades they've been performing and whatnot. And they tape every show I've been to. There are cameras and, you know, <laughs> there's like, like tripods and everything. Like they were, they're, they're very detailed. So there must be decades of performances that they have archived. Like they, it sort of astounds me that they don't have any, like well, they haven't put anything out in decades. I was so. trying to watch videos on YouTube and looking things up and they were taken down. Like, and I, I think that's great. Like I have so much respect for that, that they're really trying to control their output. Um, you know, Oh, they've total. that's what I mean. They have yeah. full control of their environment, who they sell their stuff to and whatnot. You know what I who mean? Who gets to do that? That's crazy. It's awesome. They can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, exactly what discipline gets great freedom um but yeah I, I thought it was really interesting that they're you know it's not sort of inherent that this would work on a record or that these techniques would be you know captured in, in a way that would resonate with a listener um but this shandar record is just again from from having spent time in the dream house uh both during performances and not during performances I can't imagine a better recorded document of either of those things. So when I was, you know, reading about the sine waves and the oscillators and the oscilloscopes and uh, looking into all of the highly technical aspects like the, oh, I, I guess I need to reference it, the 12 tone technique that he learned at UCLA um, versus, you know, the 11 tone dual technique that they came up with, uh, my brain started hurting like my head literally hurt and I had to put two pillows around my head and I was like oh my god like I, I this is so much thinking and then I started listening to it and I was like this is um you're making this too complicated so I'm gonna read something I wrote to myself to calm myself down uh after I've been thinking too hard uh so I say this is all intense music theory stuff but it's also relating that information to our environment and creating an environment in which we are all existing this is crafting a human experience that is both corporal and transcendent. We don't need to understand it because we are experiencing it. We are living it. This is an experiment in immersive concepts. What is a dream and who is the dreamer? You've been listening to Noise Extra. I'm Tara Connolly here with Steve Lowenthal, Mike Connolly, and Gray Holger. Noise Extra is brought to you by Contradict Sound, home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in all of those, and on Twitter at noise extra. That one has three A's. Thank you so much for listening to us and to noise.